0: I watched The Cheat from 1915. The Cheat is the 23rd film that Cecil B. DeMille directed. And that seems like a long career, but those films were released over a span of 22 months, meaning that he had less than two years as a director under his belt when he made this movie. And despite being so new to the art, although he had done a bunch of, I mean, 23 movies, thats there's director's making movies today that have been making movies for decades that haven't made 23 movies. So he was new time-wise, but he certainly had done a lot. But nonetheless, despite being in the early part of his career, his talent is very, very obvious. This is a beautifully shot film. And I have to say it includes the most effective usage of lighting and shadow that I've seen in anything so far. And lighting and shadow, that it's not like people weren't using that. That was definitely part of the toolkit of the early directors. But he really did some effective things. And I'll get into those in a second. But I always try to summarize these things. Because the whole point of these podcasts is so I can try to remember these movies I watch. So I don't forget. So this time we have The Cheat. And the story opens with Richard, who's played by Jack Dean, sinking his entire fortune into an investment. He's confident it's going to do great things. He just puts every penny in there. So he tells his wife, Edith, who's played by Jack Dean's real-life wife, Fanny Ward. Fanny Ward was a Broadway star, and then she was doing movies now. And he lets her know that she has to at least temporarily curb her spending. She's been just spending fortunes on clothes and all these things. He's been getting these bill. Early in the movie, he gets this bill for a... I don't know, just ridiculous. Even by today's prices. Like, even when I saw the price in 2023, I was like, that's a lot. Then I realized... How much would that have been in 1915? Anyway, he tells her, you got to shut down the spending at least for a little while until this investment comes through. And besides clothing, she's been spending for this fundraiser for Belgian war orphans that she's helping to organize. And she's the treasurer of the Red Cross chapter that's putting on this fundraiser. And so they put it on and they've entrusted. They've given her $10,000. They've entrusted her with $10,000 they raised at the fundraiser. So she's got this stack of cash. And she puts it in her safe, but then promptly takes it out of the safe and gives it to a friend of hers who tells her, uh, your husband, his investment's no good. I've got this great opportunity. I can double it overnight. Give me your ten grand. I'll have twenty dollars for you in the morning. So she's that's good. She she has two days until the funds are due to the Red Cross. So she figures, great, I'll double it tomorrow. Then the day after I'll give 10,000, I'll have 10,000. So she gives him the money. And of course, the next day he shows up to tell her, well, the investment didn't pan out. The money's gone. And now she's in a pickle. She's got less than a day to come up with $10,000 to give to the Red Cross. She doesn't exactly ask her husband, but she kind of double checks And he's like, oh, yeah, all our money, inaccessible. We've got a lot of money, but it's tied up. Just a few days, we'll have it. So then she turns to her best friend. And we've actually seen this guy through the movie, this guy, Haka, who's a Burmese ivory merchant. And she's been kind of paddling around with him a lot. It's almost a little weird how much time she's spending with this guy instead of her husband. But they're ostensibly just friends. He's a Burmese ivory merchant. And... He says, sure, $10,000, I'll give you the money, but in exchange, you have to come back tonight and spend the night here. And now she's shocked, but she has no recourse. So she reluctantly agrees because she knows the alternative is going to jail for embezzlement. So she's like, well, if I have to do this better one night with Haka than a life in jail. So she gets home and then her husband says, hey, great news. The investment turned out earlier than I thought. It's all great. We're rich beyond our wildest dreams. She's like, oh no. So she says, can I get $10,000 to cover some money I lost in a game of bridge? And he's like, yeah, sure, whatever. So he writes her a check. And when she goes to Haka that evening for their assignment, whatever you want to call it, um, she gives him the check and says, here, here's here's your $10,000 back. But he refuses. He's like, no, we made a deal. I don't want $10,000. I want you. So she tries to run away and he locks her in the room. There's a struggle. At one point... He picks her up earlier in the film. He was showing someone he's when he imports the ivory, he always brands the bottom of the whatever the ivory piece is. He says, this way I know it belongs to me. So he actually picks up the red hot brand and he brands her because I guess in his mind she belongs him. And there's a struggle. She comes across his gun and she shoots him. As that's happening, her husband shows up. He was a little suspicious about this alleged bridge game debt, so he's trying to find his wife. He goes to her friend Haka's house. He quickly assesses the situation, and he sends his wife away. When the police come, he says, I shot Haka. And Haka doesn't dispute this, because it seems like he sees a way to get his romantic rival and Edith's protector and source of income out of the picture. There's a trial, and in this trial, even though he could easily turn his wife in. He maintains his guilt, but he won't offer a reason. They keep saying, well, why did you shoot Haka? And he won't give a reason. When he's convicted and sentenced to death or life in jail, whatever it is, Edith finally can't take it. She bursts forth and she tells the truth. And she shows the brand on her shoulder as proof. When like, Why did you do it? She shows the brand. And then the judge dismisses the case and Richard and Edith leave together. So, happy ending. Uh, when this movie was first released, The villain was actually a Japanese ivory merchant, but there were protests by Japanese Americans. So when it was re-released in 1918, DeMille made the change from Japanese to Burmese. So the version that survives today, at least the only one I could find, is the one where he's now Burmese. They changed his name too. So he's got a Burmese sounding name. But nationality aside, the character was played with extraordinary aplomb by the Japanese actor Sesui Hayakawa. And this became his breakthrough role to stardom. He became Hollywood's first Asian matinee idol and the first non-white international movie star. I found a quote from Stephen Gong, who was the executive director of San Francisco's Center for Asian American Media. And he wrote, The film caused a sensation. The idea of the rape fantasy, forbidden fruit, all those taboos of race and sex. It made him a movie star. And his most rabid fan base was white women so we finally have a, at least in the movies I've seen our first non-white movie star up for debate is whether the film is racist or not some are gonna of course say it is because the villain is played by an Asian actor but I'd counter by saying that the is never made a focal point of the film in fact it, he, if he was white it wouldn't, you wouldn't change anything in the film he might not be a Burmese ivory merchant he might have to be a French ivory merchant or whatever but he's just a dude he could have been turkish or belgian or american whatever and he's clearly an accepted member of the upper class in the film he's at the parties he's at the fundraisers he's just they treat him like a a normal dude no one objects to his presence no one treats him any differently due to his nationality even at the trial there's never any sense of like well you shot him but he's you know it was just so to me it was almost a little surprising because when I started watching it I thought maybe there was going to be some kind of as people say, a cringy thing or he's going to but no, he was just a just a, a villain being played by a Japanese actor. Uh, more noticeable to me than anyone's race and this is what I started with is DeMille's pioneering use of what's called the Rembrandt lighting. And there's a number of scenes where an actor's face would be partly lit, partly in shadow. That's what they call the Rembrandt lighting. And Hayakawa is the prime beneficiary of this technique. There's a lot of scenes, but there's great scenes with him, kind of this brooding villain. And it just, it works extremely well. There's many of these lengthy shots from an immobile camera that are augmented by this incredible lighting. I watched this on a DVD, which includes a second Cecil B. DeMille film called Manslaughter, which I'll watch later in the chronology. You can purchase your own copy if you want to click on the picture below and i want to point out on the advice of a few people i have created an amazon associates account so if you do buy something from amazon using my link i might get a couple pennies i'm not optimistic somehow i don't think anyone is going to be buying dvds of silent movies because of my podcast but you never know i may get a few nickels here and there the cheat is also available on amazon prime where it's free for prime members at least right now those things change I took a look at that, and the quality of the film is solid. It's not great, but you can see the brilliance of DeMille and his cinematographer, Alvin Wyckoff. I mentioned, I think, in a previous podcast, we're starting to get to this era of Hollywood where it isn't just one director doing it all. DeMille and Wyckoff, like we all credit DeMille because he directed it, but I think this Alvin Wyckoff is as much responsible for how beautiful this movie looks. So I'm going to try to pay more attention to not just the director from here on out. So anyway, I still recommend you buy the DVD. This is a great movie. And Manslaughter might be good too. Who knows? We'll find out when I get to that one. But next, I'm going to watch After Death from 1915, directed by Yevgeny Bauer.